Hi, I'm Sean L. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic, found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Sean Latham found the key to his successful comedy career, not in Los Angeles or New York City, but in Indianapolis. That's where he developed the most in recent years and found a home with the Pat McAfee Show podcast and his own hit web series, $20 Chef, through Barstool Sports. Latham, who went on the road opening for Gabriel Iglesias and got his first TV credits on Fluffy's Comedy Central showcase, Stand Up Revolution, recently did make the move to the Big Apple, where he's hosting his own serious XM talk show weekday mornings on the Barstool Sports Channel, and preparing to get in the ring for Barstool's Rough and Rowdy 7 Super Brawl in Atlanta. There's a lot to get to, so let's get to it! So, Sean Latham, the last time I saw you, you were working the door at the Tempe Improv. I was a food runner, and then I became a waiter. But yeah, that was in 2001. I think you might have, but you were doing sets, and that was maybe 2002, the latest, I remember. Yeah, I was a host. Yeah, you'd come in and you were a host. You were working with the New Times, right? I was a host and a designated driver for Dan Murr. Oh, Danny Murr. (laughs) You know, um, that was actually a really wonderful period of time in comedy. Well, for our listeners, like there's the comedy scenes are, are prevalent everywhere now, it seems. But I want you to describe for me what the comedy scene was like in Arizona for you starting out. Yeah, that was in 2001. I was like 23. I'm mm-hmm. 40 now. So that was, there was that, first of all, for amateurs, it was very light. There was not much going on. I had a couple of rooms. Um, There's not a lot of open mics, though. Yeah, there wasn't many open mics. Uh, the main thing was trying to get on at the improv. And then if you got, if you did relatively well on a regular basis, then they would throw you, a, you know, Dan will let you open for four or five minutes, mostly three minutes as an MC for any of these. Ma- but Right, which is crazy compared to most places. Yeah, because it's way, I mean, five, three minutes. I mean, that's just a big old that, go, eat a ball of, go, go eat a ball of dicks, bag of dicks. Uh, you're not, you shouldn't even be here, but someone's <laughs> got to crack this crowd open, you know, so go do it. Right, but that's barely any jokes. Yeah, you can't do shit. And... I want. I remember wanting to be on there so bad to host. I just never got on. I think I did it like twice. A year and a half I worked there. Okay. But the main, the, the the awesome part was all the acts that were at that point. Right. I mean, so many people that aren't here now. I mean, I remember I would watch Robert Schimmel. Uh, Rich Jenny was the first time I ever saw anybody there. Um, Mitch Hedberg several times. Yep. I mean, the list. It's a, Alfie May was middling for Jay Moore. Yep. And they would have Mama Your Mama battles with their manager hosting it like afterwards. So, I mean, there's like so many. I'm sure there's a few more that I'm just, you know, my stoner brain isn't picking up. No, there are so many comedians who are now, well, if they're not, if they're still alive, they're doing theaters or arenas. Yeah. Brian Regan, Jeff Dunham. But they were all club comics. Yeah. And then the middle acts were, I mean, Daniel Tosh was always featuring there. Yep. But that was before we even got on the Tonight Show. We would hang out every time, play pool after at at that bar across the way. I forgot the name of it. Oh. God damn, I can't remember. It's like an Irish Mexican place. He's, what was it called? I forgot. But everybody would go over there and play pool. John Panette would always yep. be there, and he would. He, he filmed was, a couple. He filmed like a special or two there. I think I, I wouldn't put it past him because he used to destroy and sell that place out. It'd be like yeah. you know what four hundred plus seats every every show. Actually, I think Dan told me that he sold the most liquor and food out of anybody. I, I could see that because you know he he was obviously it was the self deprecating awesome humor that he did, and people come in there and just get just get lit. And you know what I love about him? 
that stands out about John Panette was uh, he when we were all drinking afterwards at the bar mm-hmm. across across the parking lot, all the staff and everybody. He would buy food for everybody, and then he would buy any. He would stand at the door and find out who needs cabs because they wouldn't want him to drive home. Oh wow! So he would get, he didn't matter, didn't matter how much he spent. He just mm-hmm. wanted to make sure everybody was full. Not hungry, and that they got home safe, which is a big deal. I mean, that's what that could that probably adds up after you after you start counting weeks on the road. It's not like he just did it in Tempe. I'm sure he did it everywhere, right? You know, but just the inspiration from watching stand up comedy there, all those amazing Jimmy Schubert. You know, which I think he's going to be on my show next week when he comes to town. He's, he's pushing his special right now, which he's one of my favorites of all time. Obviously, that was from that era of you know with Dammer bringing yeah. people out. I mean. Just being able to like say I was in that little time frame of that club was unbelievable. So you got the job. I take it you got a job there, thinking this was going to be your entry point. No, I, I wasn't even doing stand up when I got the job. There was uh, four. It was Brian Ritchie, uh, the comic who's still mm-hmm. who's still hilarious is hilarious out of Phoenix. Mark Fry, mm-hmm. um, and then somebody else worked there, but I don't, I don't think he continued on doing it. Just Mark, myself, and Brian. Uh-huh. But they all did it. And I, I had tried it once, like as a as a my friends dare me, like okay. a couple of years before that when I was like twenty one, but it was never. It was just like a one off thing, like yeah, yeah, you know. But then when I got a job at the improv, I started watching it, you know, fifty hours a week, and then hanging out with those dudes, and then they just kind of started going, "You should do this, you should do this," and then I just started doing it with them. Like I was, you know, I was shitting my pants trying to do <laughs> the open mic there. How long did you stay in Phoenix? I moved from Phoenix. I left. Uh, like September of 2004. Okay. I moved. I left, LA, I left Phoenix and moved to L.A. and very rapidly learned that I was absolute dog shit. I was going to say, how did you know to move to L.A.? Well, I had a really good boss. I worked at a bar called Dos Gringos and uh, at the original, old, the original Tempe location. Okay. And I had this amazing boss who now in Phoenix, if you've ever been to Oso Brewery. No. I haven't well, been he, back uh, since I left. Okay, yeah. Well, he, there's uh, Oso Brewery. It's in the airport. They have like three or four... Um, Three or four breweries and, and, and distilleries. Okay. Well, he, now he's, he owns all that, but he was my manager at the time. He's a very creative dude. He was very adventurous. He was a world traveler. He would just hitchhike around the world, basically. And he was always in my face, like, why are you here? Why are you here? Why don't you move to L.A.? Well, you, you're worried about your job? If you, if you suck and fail, come back. I'll give you your job back. So now you have a safety net, so what's the problem? So for like a year, he just kept hitting me at that. So far, And then I was all, you know, in Arizona at the time... It was much easier for comedy because my friends thought, you know, my friends came to every show, so they made me feel like I was actually funny. <laughs> so I had like this nice false sense of hilariousness, mm-hmm. and that gave me the drive to quit a really good job and go to L.A. and then learn that the very first show that I was an absolute piece of trash with no material. What, what show is that? I did a show at the Rainbow Room with, with Fry. We did the Rainbow Room mm-hmm. on Sunset, and it was just a terrible room at the, I mean, for stand-up. It was like it was just shit in the way. It was really weird, but I bombed. I think it was probably the worst bombing I ever I ever experienced. Even though it was the elements were terrible, I saw the people doing just fine. So I can't blame it on anything but myself. But that was the first time I figured it out. Do you want me to shut this? No, it's fine. Okay, that's when I figured out I was absolute trash. So how long did it take you to regroup after that? Almost honestly, I did a few more open mics that mm-hmm. were very they were very degrading, and then um, then I started having money problems trying to live there. So I almost, I mean, I kept writing on a regular basis, writing, always writing material, but I, did, I didn't do stand-up for almost, a, I mean, I did it very rarely for those, those first two years in L.A. Like, I didn't do very much stand-up at all. I found a little room in the city that I can get up on, and I, they wanted me to help mm-hmm. promote. I'd go pass out flyers, and I would get some stage time that, that gave me the satisfaction I needed to keep going, but... What got you to, what got you to not give up then? I started or to come back, well, or to make a comeback. Yeah, what I because did... Because a lot of people... Yeah. 
if they haven't been on stage for a few months, can just slip away. Yeah. Well, I always knew I was – I mean, in my mind, I was always a comedian. I was never going to stop. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just so – like, I was just too comfortable, like, living there in that little pile in Hermosa Beach. So having the money to take my – to drive my truck, which was a six-cylinder, mm-hmm. you know, to L.A. or all these places for no money to do stand-up with. I didn't have much money for gas and eat and shit in the jobs I had. It was really hard finding jobs. So I just kept writing, but – did I, that club at Hermosa Beach have open mics or no? No, no, no. Hermosa Beach Comedy Magic Club? Yeah, no, yeah. they don't. No, that's just elite shit right there. Oh, okay. That's where, you know, that's just where the elites are hanging out. Right. Um, I, what did I do? Oh, I, you know what I did? I started hanging out with uh, Felipe Esparza because I knew him from Tempe because we used to smoke weed all the time and I, he knew he would come and I, when he opened for Fluffy, uh-huh. I would bring weed to the club for him and, and, and one of my best friends to this day, Ivan, who was Gabriel's merch guy. Okay. Who's still his merch guy. Uh-huh. Um, and so I would bring weed. weed yeah, and in Tempe, I was a weed hookup for him. And then uh-huh. we would hang out. And so when I would go to L.A., he would invite me to come hang out. Okay. So then I started going downtown all the time to hang out with him. And then, you know, he would get me, you know, he'd have shows at these bars and he'd be able to get me up, no problem. So that's when I started going. Then I moved. And this is before he did Last Comic. Yeah, this is way before. This is in 07, 06. Okay. So we started hanging out in 06. And then um, I decided to move downtown L.A. because that's where I, I needed to get away from the beach. I was like, I just need to leave. So in 08. The beginning of o- if you're 08. On the beach. Why would you do anything but just hang out on the beach? Exactly. I had a good bar scene. That's job. what I hear about like California is that it's it's a great place to be, and there's all the industry there, but it can also kind of lull you into slacking off really easily. You start hanging out at the beach, have a few friends. Mm-hmm. You get into calls every day, going to eat, grab some food, ride your skateboard, doing it, just fucking off on the beach all day. It's it, you'll really really quickly have zero motivation to drive to, to Hollywood for a four minute set. Very quickly, you'll lose it. But I started hanging out with him. I, so I moved downtown. Okay. In a, da- in a shit little situation. And then, uh, and like, that was January of 08. I moved downtown LA, and that's when I started going pretty hard. And, and, that, and, that's, before, and that's before downtown started redeveloping in LA, right? Uh, yeah. I, it was, it was, I mean, there was stuff there. I lived right across the street from the, from the uh, LA Times building on 2nd and Main. Okay. And um, then we just, I had a car, and Felipe had to hook up. Was Staples Center and all that stuff there yet? Yeah, it was okay. all there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I would just drive us around. He would just give me sp- sets. And then that's just how it worked for 08, 09. All of 08 and 09, I was just going hard. So 07, I started doing a whole bunch too. But when I moved downtown, mm-hmm. that's when I really started going, you know, Where were your big. regular hangs? Uh, a lot of regular small rooms, a lot of bars. You know, I would get up at Laugh Factory sometimes. Um, I would always, you know, I can get up on Mondays, decently regular. Mm-hmm. And then any kind of belly room show, I'd kind of get on. Okay. Um, and then, but, but a lot of it was just the off, all the off stuff. You know, there was like the, the f- something clubs, three of clubs room. There was a bunch of handful of good rooms, you know. And then, but all the bar shows were the ones that pay the most. So that's where we would be at. Any okay. bar show Felipe would get on, he'd headline. I'd be able to do five minutes up front or whatever. Did you go on the road with him too or? Oh, uh, yeah. Not when he started doing clubs a lot. No, he was, I was off on my own. Okay. But yeah, I did, I did do a lot of clubs with him. And I started hanging out with Edwin San Juan as well. Who's also you know very very credited hilarious comedian has now residency in Vegas, but uh, and he gave me a lot of I worked with him a lot of clubs and you know we worked we were roommates for a while at this loft downtown. And it's actually really fun because I did this one time uh, when Felipe moved out we were roommates at a loft downtown LA, and the rent was nineteen hundred so there's no way I could cover that on my own I could barely get my own half together every month. Well when he moved out I had a two month gap before and then Edwin was going to move in. So I just started doing shows in my apartment. I did open bar. I got Joey Medina f- backed mm-hmm. me on it. He gave me like 600 bucks, and I gave him the money and like a percentage back. Uh-huh. 
and I did open bar. So I used that money to go fill up my house with liquor. Okay. I built a bar. Okay. And then um, I had my sound buddy come in with his gear, with a, and he DJed for free. And I would do shows out of my house, open bar, and you could smoke weed in there. And I actually had a blackjack table. So like one of my nights, like one of the, my my favorite nights of all time, my, my li- I would do two shows. Who would you book? One night I had Felipe, Edwin, Ben Glebe, Joey Diaz, Willie Barcena. <laughs> like I had amazing lineups. Yeah, yeah. Like do it, you know, because I How pay. How many people could you seat in there? Fifty, sixty-ish. Okay, standing up, and we were on the sixth so, floor. Is it like a loft? Yeah, it was. Okay. it was a beautiful loft. Okay. So I had two big sides. One side was the bar and the blackjack, and mm-hmm. one side was the show. And we would just cram them in there, and we had, we did our shows in there. And uh, I mean, but that those nights when I had all those guys was just unbelievable. Like if you're looking back now, and this was did in you make 09. money on those? Or I didn't very, make very much, but I did make some money because you know sixty people would you know pay me fifty. I think I did fifty dollars open bar. Okay, come a ticket. But after I paid the, the bar, I had a. I mean, I overstaffed. I got a little aggressive with the staffing. Um, I could have just barred. I should have just barred back it myself. But I paid a, this little Mexican homie that I used to work with at a nightclub, and he came and he uh, he barred back for me mm-hmm. for a hundred bucks. But then, uh, you know, but it was just a great. My favorite joke of the whole time that weekend was that those weekends were uh, we were on the sixth floor. The windows were huge. Like imagine this window right here, which is at least a six foot wide window. But if you could lift, open it up. Right, and it opens up to about here. So you have a gaping hole that you could just fall hang out. out in. It looks like you fall out. But it's on the sixth floor. Not. And uh, Willie Barstow, somebody heckling some tall girl in the front row, wouldn't shut up. Mm-hmm. And uh, we're on the sixth floor. The windows are huge. So, you know, you're right next to the comedians are right next to the window. And uh, this tall girl just wouldn't shut up. And Willie Barsena told her, hey, if you don't like it, you can just go outside and watch the show from here. And he put his hands up, like on the window like she was just going to – her tall ass would just be six floors up and just peek in the window. <laughs> and the pose, it was just – to this day, I cannot forget that joke. It was such one of my favorite crowd work jokes I've ever heard. How often did you do those shows? I did them twice a month for okay, two for months. Health? Okay. Yeah. So it, it, they were awesome. Everybody loved them. There's someone just come out. Uh, you know, Joe Diaz in there. Oh, man, what a, what a good time that did was. Did you ever think about, like, just doing that as a thing? Like, making that a regular? Yeah, but I just wasn't a good enough marketer mm-hmm. for it to be. Like, I didn't know all the extra tips and tricks to get people that I don't know kick coming. You know, I can get my friends and everybody. I can get their friends. I had my whole sixth floor coming. They're all paying to get in. And we had just basically a party on that floor. But... Just the outreach and the extra people that you need and the pressure with, you know, re-upping the money and all that shit. And then it becomes a business. Yeah, yeah. So I just, I just didn't, have, I didn't have the chops for it at the time. How, how long did it take to get the, um, the TV credit with, with Gabriel? Um, I started with working Central. with – That took that – that was pretty hard. I didn't even see it coming. I didn't think I was going to get on it because I, I first got – I started working with him in 08, mm-hmm. like doing a couple – he let me have guest sets at Irvine or whatever improv. And then in 09, I went to Houston with him for the first time on the road. And then I went to, he invited me to Hawaii at the end of 09 for his uh, – they go there for Thanksgiving every year. So everybody on his tour would go, and they'd bring their significant others, you know, managers, sound guys, shit, like, stuff like that. So it would be like a big that – like that was like the big Super Bowl weekend for the whole tour for the year. That's okay. what he would do. We'd all go. Big family thing. It was really fun. And then he asked me to go on tour with him. So – but I only started as a merch guy. Like I'll, I'll let you go up sometimes when I let you, but mm-hmm. otherwise you just got to look at this like you're just getting in. Right. You're going to help Ivan with the shirts, and then whatever we can fit you in, we will. And I was like, of course. You're looking up at Martin going. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if only I could get to there. <laughs> I know. So then, um, then he started letting me go up a few months in. I feel uh, He made me tough it out. And then I was just, you know, it was going really well. I had a really, my set was my strongest thing I had. At the time, so whenever they had auditions, he let me audition, 
and then the Comedy Central liked it. So I, that was at that was in 2011, I think. 11 and 13, I think that's the years I got on that show. So 2011, I had a really good, I had a, the best audition of my life was at Bray Improv for that season one of Stand Up Revolution. And so I made it on, luckily. And that was the first time I got on, that was my first, I mean, I did a couple of little small things, but like actual stand up on TV. That yeah. was definitely my first real breakthrough. And did, when you got that, did you think, did you think of that as like a career accomplishment or as like this is going to be the stepping stone to bigger? things i definitely thought it was a career accomplishment first like it made me feel good inside so i felt better not doing well after like if we was if i was just working out on shows Mm -hmm. because i felt like because you know before you get on before i have any tv credits every show has to be your best show so everybody knows that you're the real deal because you don't have anything to prove that you have a credit you don't have any credits so i got my first times it made doing bar shows and shit a little a little bit more relaxing because if I wanted to work on new material, I will. And then my mind was, well, if I suck, it doesn't matter that I suck tonight. I'm working on material. I mean, I have been on TV. So I made it on TV. So it was a little bit easier. Yeah. I still wanted to kill. But you can Google me, and I'm on. <laughs> yeah, like. There's clips of me. On exactly. TV. And then, um, but no, I thought it was just stepping. I, I was like, all right, now I'm, in, now I'm in. I'm in the door. Now let's go. Like, that was more. It was, it was both, actually. It was, and it was a stepping stone. Because I felt like, oh, all I need now to open more doors is that they see that I had this, that I was on this show. Even though that. It didn't have nearly the impact that I thought TV credits would going in before I had a TV credit. Like, it did help a lot. I mean, I got a lot more shit out of, you know, in comedy world. But it wasn't as, like, I thought it was like doors are opening and clubs are like, well, come on in. You're on TV. You're on Comedy Central. You can play our club, which is still, it's still hard to get club work unless you have, you know, a manager or an agent. Right, because now there's a lot of people with TV credits. Yeah, yeah. And there's a ton (laughs) of TV credits. I mean, you're still... In a level that thousands of comedians still aspire to be at. Yeah, or never get to. Or never get to. Yeah. Um, yeah I was but very now there's hundreds of people who also yeah. have... Every year is more, more credits. Have, yeah. yeah, no, it's just, it was very humbling, and I, but it was very extremely satisfying. So where were you at in your life and career when you ran into Pat McAfee? Um, I was... After the second... I got on Comedy Central again the second time mm-hmm. on season three of Center of Revolution. And then I was just kind of lingering in Long Beach. I was living in L.A. in Long Beach. Um, I had my I was running my own rooms mostly. You know, I was getting I was getting more stage time that way than running around doing sets at clubs, trying to get into clubs because I was hosting. Room. I would host and close my own show. Okay. So, you know, I could get fifteen minutes up front. I can get like five in in between, and then I can do another twenty at the end. And I was inviting everybody, so it was my crowd. So I was getting an hour of that of of material. Uh, on that weekly show and I had two monthlies so okay. but that wasn't getting anything going like as far as career wise I just had those that little those rooms I had going in Long Beach and I didn't have I didn't have shit going on and then um, but I did used to work this club in Indianapolis called Morty's now it's it just closed last year god damn pour one out for Morty's what a place what a club and uh, I saw I worked Cracker still one of them. I'm not sure if it's still there. They are having some problems. But huh. I know that the, the Broad River one's closed. I'm not sure about the other one. So what's going on in Indy now? Uh, uh, yeah. Um, I just worked both three of these clubs. I'm an idiot. Heli- not Helium. Yeah, Helium. Oh, Helium. Okay. Yeah, Helium. I'm an idiot. I, just, okay. I smoke a lot of weed, Sean. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Helium just opened up there. So they're, gonna take, they're about to take over the whole city. <laughs> you got to watch that if you're going to be fighting. I know. Well, hopefully it lets the, uh, it lets the uh, pain takes a few extra seconds to get there. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I saw like, those guys in Indy were awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, I used to love doing this club. Um, How I was often featuring would you do minimum once a year? Okay, from 2010 on, and then um, 
every year we, we would just have a great time. The mm-hmm. owners were awesome. They were would also you comedians. Teach it for the same people or different people? Everybody different all the time. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I did the first five or first five years I featured and then I got moved to headliner after mm-hmm. the second Comedy Central. Okay. Um, but the owners are so awesome so they had this idea they were going to they were going to start up a comedy group not an improv group but a group of comedians that do content podcasts and do they do a once a week show at the club well we're just kind of just trying to become a group but mm-hmm. but make ourselves better comedians you know do stuff like you know uh, that was uncomfortable you know film okay. and then they hooked me up with their agency that booked their three clubs that they owned which also booked a bunch of other clubs that mostly were papered acts not draws because mm-hmm. they're smaller clubs smaller markets so you know it was anywhere from 800 to 1200 bucks a weekend you know, four shows, no pay for travel. Mm-hmm. So I had to be in Indianapolis. You can't work those clubs if you're in L.A. because the travel will kill it. Right. And um, so that's what they did. And then so I moved there. I moved to Indianapolis. I didn't know who Pat McAfee was. And I moved to Indianapolis just to, and I was just getting great work. I was getting two, three weekends a month to go out. And then during the week, we had our Tuesday night show. It was really fun. Um, Is that was, like a leap of faith to do that? To move to, to, to Indy? move from Southern yeah. California to Indianapolis, yeah, because especially after you know after being there for twelve years doing stand up in in, in L A, yeah. people are like, "Wait, you're moving to Indianapolis?" I'm like, "Well, all I care about is doing stand up. Right. If I'm if I get the headline clubs, I don't. Get, I mean, does it matter where you live? Like, I had a Prius at the time, true. So, and when I moved there, gas was a buck fifty. No, I know gallon. plenty of people who who ended up moving to Austin because they figured. Let's live somewhere where I'm going to have fun when I'm not on the road. If you're a road yeah, comic, exactly. And so Indy was good. I had I had Morty's. They were giving me a couple of weeks a year headlining their club. So I had plus they had one in Dayton and Louisville. Were you getting on Bob and Tom? Yeah, too. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I would get on Bob and Tom to promote my weeks. Mm-hmm. And luckily, a lot of those clubs they they have such a large market for Bob and Tom yeah. that I would get I would start getting on there a decent amount. Okay. And then uh, so we had our Tuesday night show, and the way this show would work. My buddy Chris Bowers kind of made this up. He would do it so there was five slots, so we all rotated. Uh, he invited me. By the way, he invited me from L.A. as a comic from L.A. They invited. They invited a kid from Chicago, a kid from New York, and they mm-hmm. had three locals that were part of this group we had called the Motor Pugs. Okay. So it was like a AAA minor league baseball team yeah. type name, you know? So I was a dude from L.A., we, and so there was slots. Uh, there was the host slot, which you were like a you know, Tonight Show style host. Mm-hmm. You did a monologue, and then you'd bring everybody out. Then you had the crowd work slot. You had the new material slot. You had the TV sl- TV clean slot. And then there was one other one, like beast, uh, low energy, high energy slot, they would call it. So you would just rotate through. And then each week you just bumped your, you know, just went through right. the rotation. Am I the host this time? Am I only doing new material? So each week you're practicing a different skill. Yeah, exactly. And we did this. And even though it was only 12 people in the crowd sometimes, mm-hmm. most of the time, we still did it and we still committed. It was still really fun. So one of those nights... I think it was in February of 2016 because mm-hmm. it was in the off season because that was when Pat had just was setting up. He had just did a tour the year before out of the blue. And he's this guy. I don't know why, by the way, he how funny he is for never doing stand up. It's, it's fucking unbelievable. But um, he was looking. He had a, he set up a couple of shows for the uh, he was a punter for the Colts. Yeah, he's a punter for the Colts. Mm-hmm. And he set up he did a bunch of string shows killed it mm-hmm. and then so that was the year before after the season the season happens and then now he set up a couple more theater shows and he was out looking for openers which nobody knew he was just hanging out with his brother and I, I think his assistant were all just so they came to our show at Morty's that Tuesday night and so after I got done touring with Fluffy like doing small crowds felt so good because I always like it sounds like really weird to say but for five years all we did was 
theaters and arenas. So like I can never really just riff and have a good like have a, a random time. I did my I did my by the book. Right, material. there's no interaction with the audience when you've got yeah. six thousand people. Yeah, or you do twelve thousand people. Exactly. Yeah, you know, you do your you do your five minutes, your ten minutes, and you get off. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was like when I got done with the tour, I was on my own again. It felt so good to just like not give a fuck what I said. Whatever comes out comes out. Doesn't matter if it's twelve people in the crowd or two hundred, because it was all it was all little compared to what I had just been doing for four or five years. Yeah. So I just had I happened to have one of these sets that night that was just one of my favorite sets in a long time. I was walking around the room, just having a blast. There's only like twelve, fifty people there, and Pat happened to be in the back, which I didn't know who he was or anything. I met him after the show. So then after the show. I used to have this joke about um, a sandwich. So it started off sounding sexist, but it was actually a pro woman joke. So the next day he made it. The next day after we said, you know, introduced, he introduced himself. I said hi. Uh, I got a DM on Twitter that said that was one of the. I love your energy. That was one of the my most favorite sets I've ever seen. Not to mention your sandwich joke. My girlfriend um, just woke up and made me the best sandwich of my life. I was wondering if you want to open for me at a theater for seven thousand dollars. I was just like. <laughs> $7,000, like a million dollars at that time. I might have had right. like 900 bucks in my bank or something like that, and rent was around the corner. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we, became, we started hanging out all the time. We became really good friends and boys, and then we started doing video shit, and now then shows together. DMs. Yeah, he did. That's how it happened. And then, then he started doing the, um, and then he got, when he got called, we were doing all kinds of shows together, hanging out, and mm-hmm. then when he got to do the Barcel thing, that's when he brought me in, and then we started doing the $20 Chef stuff, and, and then it just kind of went from there from last, that which was last summer. No, no, summer of 2017, sorry, is when we started. That's when I started with Barcel and Pat. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then and we just, the $20 Chef just yeah. started 20, uh, 2017. So where did the summer. $20 Chef web series come about? I um I used to cook a lot when I was working when I lived because Martine was my Gabriel Glacius is opener Martine mm-hmm. Martine Moreno and I were roommates and his son so we used to cook a lot when we were okay. on the road we were so happy to be home and and not have to, you know and not eat out that right. we and he was a cook growing up he grew, he grew up cooking when his mom cooked mm-hmm. him so we would cook at the house all the time and I just got into it. And we loved cooking. We just smoke weed, hang out, talk shit, and cook. And it was the most fun nights. So I started. Then I just took on the cooking of my own, mm-hmm. my own life personally. And then I would just have fun on Snapchat. Like Snapchat really created it because okay, that was before Instagram like, yes. story. Yeah, yeah. So I just started snapping while I was cooking, talking shit, you know, doing my little towel thing or whatever, just cracking jokes. And then um, when Pat started working with him, he goes, "Hey, well, if I produce a show for you, what would you want to do?" And I was like, I don't know. I get a lot of love. I get a lot of people saying they love the way I do this cooking shit on Snapchat. I can try that. And so, uh, what we call it? And we, you know, we threw around names, and Twenty Dollar Chef came up. It was like, all right, we'll cook it on a budget here. And then we just started filming it, and then it just went from that to where we are now. Like whatever, eighteen months later, nineteen months later, and it's. I mean, it's definitely changed. That's just the whole idea changed my life. Yeah. So what? What is twenty? How how do you describe Twenty Dollar Chef now? What I think is it? It's just a regular dude that's not a trained. I'm not a. I have no training at all mm-hmm. in the kitchen. Um, I did work for like three or four months at a kitchen in Indianapolis just for free, just to get a background before I started doing. Pat was like, hey, listen, because they were thinking about throwing me, sending me to culinary school. And I was like, well, that's a <laughs> hell of a commitment, you know? Right. But then we were at, I think it's Bert, Dad's birthday dinner at the Sullivan Steakhouse in Indianapolis. And uh, he, obviously, they all know Pat there. Yeah. And we're talking, and they're like, well, listen, if you don't have to go to, like, you can want, you can, we have great, we have amazing chefs here. All, all of the chefs that run our other locations around the country all train here to start. So if you want, I mean, sign a couple of waivers, and mm-hmm. you can work here three hours in the afternoon a few days a week. And just learn. Yeah, and so I had to do that to prove to them that I wanted to do the show. 
And so I said, all right. So I just committed to it. So like four months, I mm-hmm. basically worked for free in this kitchen, working with these chefs and just you know prepping and learning my way around just to get a little more technical. And that's when we started making the show. And then, um, But the show is basically for people that aren't in the culinary world. Like everybody can cook, but you don't really think you can when you see the shit. Because on TV, they're all experts. You know, they know everything. They know how to do everything. I mean, it's years of... Right. Years of experience is coming out. So, yeah, they have all the equipment and all the food. Yeah, so um, my you know my thing is it's like you got no you don't have that much money you don't want to go out and eat well let's just do it at home you know and another thing it's it's about the effort it's more about effort so you have a small budget but you because I'm telling also how telling teaching dudes how to cook for their girl too because if you don't have that much money and you know and you're not Mr. Suave guy. It's you. You need some. You need some kind of tools in your belt in order to in yeah. order to get you know to entice a woman to want to date you. How many people are watching this? We get like um, at least two hundred thousand views every episode. And is it all on YouTube or is it people going to different places? It is on YouTube, but most of most of the views are coming from Twitter and Facebook. Okay, because that's where Barstool pushes it out. Okay, and then we don't like promote the YouTube. It's just up there for people to look. But um, but it's mostly social media. Yeah, it's all social media. Okay. But you know, some videos that get like three or four thousand. We do two a week, so you know, it averages about a million views a month, which is feels pretty damn good. And every time I see, and I mean, I know it's working. Like I feel great because everywhere I go, like I, it's mind boggling that this many people say hello to me, no matter where we are. It's just it's it's flattering and it feels great. Like no matter what state, Barstool stretches so far. From Big Bear, California, in a grocery store, I'm, I'm getting recognized. I was in Vermont this weekend in a little small bar. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's just, it just, it's mind-blowing to see, like, the effect that if you're consistently on your shit, and obviously I'm lucky right. enough to have such a monster, you know, of a push-out, like, from compared my company. Compared to being, being on Comedy Central a couple times. Yeah, it's not even, it's not even close. Right. I mean, having an hour special is different, you know, that kind of thing. Right, but uh, being on Barstool Sports, you're... Yeah, because I'm always bigger. in their face. Yeah. Like, it's nonstop. You know, I have the two episodes a week plus the radio show. That takes, that must take a lot of time to plan two um, episodes a week. Yeah, well, yeah, we do. I, I mean, I spend, you know, that's, but I'm at the office, so I wake up in the morning. Mm-hmm. You know, I wake up around, around 7.30. You know, I fuck around here, do my thing, going over notes, stuff like that, making some eggs. I go to the office at 9, and then we do my radio show from 10 to 11. And then from like 11 to 1-ish, I'm just researching, figuring out things, writing, for the episode, we usually film two episodes, three episodes max a week, unless it's like a uh, special shit where we'll go out of town. Mm-hmm. So, like this weekend, we were in Vermont. My girlfriend's family has a um, a house there for uh, at a snowboarding mountain. Oh, nice! So, I just did a snowboarding episode where we cook and I make like a chicken pot pie, and you know, we just had to take advantage of trips, also. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, I, my producer and myself, we just we'll just try to go on the weekends and go also to venture out and do fun shit, you know, on location right. as well. All right, so you. You blow up working with Pat, and then what happened to get you to New York and then Sirius? Well, Pat has, we had a full office with like 15 employees in Indianapolis. Mm-hmm. Pat just sunk in a bunch of his own money, which this guy is so, I mean, his vision's awesome. He's just a young, he's turned 30. You know, he's a multimillionaire in like four different facets of careers. And uh, he just bought, he just, yeah, I'll take this office for how, who knows how much it costs, quarter mil. Mm-hmm. Built it out. We all worked there. It's like a big-ass fun factory. And um, so he was partners with Barstool. And then after a year and a half, I guess there was some accounting situations that he wasn't liking mm-hmm. and the business between them. So he decided he didn't want to work with Barstool any longer. But my show, it was already like it was, we make money. The reason my salary is based off of how much money can I bring in ad rev. 
obviously the more ad rev I could bring in, I'm more valuable. I get a higher salary. That's how it works. You're on contract like any pro athlete would be, you know? Um, so they can make as much money off you as they can, and this is what they give you. This is what you agreed to. So okay. I had already had a bunch of ads sold for the whole year on my show. So Frank's Red Hot, for instance, bought like 12 episodes, um, and Admiral Nelson's Rum bought mm-hmm. a bunch. So the, Pat basically had a meeting with everybody. He said, all right, guys, I'm not going to work here anymore. Um, the way it's going to work is some of you uh, are going to have to go to New York. I can't afford your guys' salaries to stay here. Under my own personal window, I can't afford uh, uh, to pay you guys like Sean. You've already sold in all this stuff. Mm-hmm. You make a certain amount because of your advertising you know, likeness. So you are not going to be able to stay here. You're just going to have to go to New York and do your thing there. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not like I don't want to you go. to. You're going to have to leave Indianapolis and go to New York City. Yeah, so he says, like, you have to go there. I, go, so, I mean, I, I just can't afford for you to stay. Think. You're saying it like it's bad news. Yeah. Well, you know, it's <laughs> really good. But most people are like, wait. <laughs> yeah. Like, you get it's to Mecca leave here. Indianapolis and go to New York City. Yeah. But, the, but we did have a really, I mean, it was a very unique situation there. Working with him was awesome. Every day was a relief. I mean, I'm, I'm amazing at cornhole because we had a cornhole in our office. And Pat's the best cornhole player on the planet. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I literally, my job was, it was awesome. I lived around the corner. You know, I ride Harleys in the summer. You know, I got great friends. We were hanging out in the lake, boating in the mm-hmm. summer. You know, I got a, I finally got a new truck after 15 years of living. So, like, my life in Indianapolis was beautiful. Right. And um, so it was a little bit of a shakeup to come here because right. it's so different. And I was very comfortable there. But, um, right. you know. You can have a house with a yard and a truck. Yeah, exactly. And you here, can't have that here. Here you're in a high-rise apartment building. Yeah. So uh, he was like, you know, so five of us from the office moved mm-hmm. here. Uh, some stayed, a couple left okay. for the most part, but they're still doing their thing there. Pat's still my homie. You know, I still talk to him on a regular basis. I still, I mean, I'm, I always looking for advice from that guy. He's just like a mech. This guy, I call him Neo from the Matrix because he's the chosen one. <laughs> and um, and now I'm here. And it's just, I mean, the radio show, they gave me a radio show on Sirius, which has been my favorite. It's so much fun. What so hour which, a day? What channel are you on on Sirius? Uh, Monday through Friday on Barcelona Channel 85. Okay. Yeah, Barcelona Radio. Sean Latham Show, which is, as a comedian after this many years, like just talking, like, like, you know, it's like a podcast every day. Like, yeah. You could do an hour, except we also get to take calls, you know, and that really helps fill up time because yeah. these guys are saying some of the dumbest shit ever, and then they spark, they also, they spark conversation. Mm-hmm. So an hour, well, like a 55-minute radio show. Is like that's just super easy if you've been a comedian for fifteen or years, yeah. you know. And I, I love it. I got two cool hosts, complete opposite of me, humans, to make sure that we, you know, that we cover a lot of bases. And you're doing it here. No, I do the oh. radio show. This is, we're in my apartment now, but I do the radio okay. show at the Barcel Radio at the Barcel headquarters. Oh, okay. So we do that every every day. All the radio shows on Barcel Radio all go from Barcel Sports HQ. Okay. Mm-hmm. But here we start doing like this setup will be for my because so, now we're gonna have start having guests on Twenty Dollar Chef, you know like I have Meryl Hodge this week was my first guest like I think the next week or a week after I got uh, the winner from uh, The Voice, wow. and then I got I think I'm, I'm gonna we're working on like some of the kids that won Master Jeff Chef Junior, which I cannot wait. I would love for little kids to just school me in a kitchen. Yeah, you know what I mean. How awesome is like to be that little and smart about cooking is it's mind blowing to me. So I cannot wait. I'm hoping now that on the other out. side. You're you're about to school some comedian slash troll. Oh yeah, the Twitter hack. Yeah, what's what's this, what's this all about? Well, when I lived in Indianapolis, um, rough and rowdy. Yeah, rough and what? rowdy. I fought once already. It's an amateur. So rough and rowdy is boxing a, or MMA? Boxing, boxing. Okay, rough and rowdy is a amateur boxing match. Uh, amateur boxing association that 
Barstool Sports bought. They mm-hmm. bought half of it or something. Okay. And now they're just putting their platform so that anybody can fight anybody. The only rule is you can't have real fight experience. Like, you can't be a real amateur, like, mm-hmm. with real fights under your belt. Right. You got to be a legit off the street dude. Okay. So, but when I lived there, it just kind of fell on my lap because uh, I was, I do stand up in the city. I, there's, a, there's a really good underground UFC, like, UFC, Chris Lytle lives there, Andrew Holbrook lives there. Uh, Matt Mitrione lives there. There's some serious, uh, serious you know, fighters that, mm-hmm. that come out of Indianapolis. Um, and I ended up hanging out with Chris Lytle at a show one time. It went really good. We ended up having some beers afterwards. And then he was like, hey, if you ever want to come train. And my whole life I wanted to train. Like 80s and 90s, like our, my age group, Bloodsport, you know, Lionheart. You know, all these movies I just wanted to be. Van Damme. Yeah. So when I've, I just never had the nuts to actually go figure out where to train and stick to it. But in Indy, I got to hang out. When Chris Lytle's calling you every morning, are you coming to train? You go. Like, this guy's a legend, you know? So I just started training with him every morning, like three or four mornings a week. That was just for fun to stay mm-hmm. in shape, you know, boxing and, um, and, and jiu-jitsu. So then like a year or so into that, a little bit more than a year after that, uh, the Rough Ferrari thing came up and I had just happened to throw my name in. And I was like, I would do that. Around Dave, the president of the company, okay. when he was visiting us in Indy. So there was no plans for it. And then after the first rough and rowdy between a couple guys at the office, Dave just out of, at the end of the broadcast goes, I think we got $20 chef for the next one. So then uh, I started getting tweets and texts mm-hmm. and shit like, are you fighting? Like, I was like, uh, I guess. So who'd you fight? I fought a kid in the office, Smitty, six foot three, two thirty five, college football player. Uh huh. I lost a split decision. Okay. But a lot of people thought I won it, which was really good. Like long term, I didn't get the money. I mean, it was a ten thousand dollar purse on the line. I didn't Ooh. get it. But long term was me losing. Almost was better outside of the money because everybody thought I won. So many people, not everybody. Right. So many people thought I won. So I got like I got more fans came like oh mm-hmm. fuck he got cheated this guy's the guy right. you know there's a rematch or yeah something. but then the guy fought who's now my one of my good friends in the office he hurt his shoulder when he one of because I did knock him down once but uh-huh. they didn't count it but uh, he at what point because we also fell down a couple times in there you know it's pretty sloppy mm-hmm. and he hurt his shoulder right, had surgery you're not actual boxers yeah. Even when you train, like getting in there for the first time was you forget everything you've ever learned, which I learned really quick. Wow. Um, kind of like yeah. that first gig in L.A. It's exactly <laughs> what it is. Like, except I wouldn't have remembered my jokes. I would have just mm-hmm. been like, just whatever coming out of my mouth. Mm-hmm. That's how it, th- that was the difference. But I really loved it. I had a great time doing it. So there was like, I was recently. I was like, I kind of. Then this guy comes out of nowhere on Twitter because I don't know. Who, I don't have anybody I want to fight that mm-hmm. would fight me. So this guy comes out on Twitter against a guy in our office, mm-hmm. uh, and I just, just didn't like smack. it. Yeah, and this kid is this a jealous? I mean, there's so many cities you go to where there's a local dude who has mm-hmm. he has no drive, might live with his parents. He all he he's been there for the longest, so everybody kind of knows him. He never writes material. He just fucking talks shit. And if you know, if, uh, I wrote this in a blog, my entry blog for Rough mm-hmm. and Rowdy Seven. It's like when the young hungry guys go out and try to make something themselves that they might have failed and have to move back. They're the first ones there in their face laughing at them. There's just every city has a hack in their local scene. You know, he does everything on stage, but he's up there juggling, fucking doing wrestling, whatever he can do besides a joke. Mm-hmm. That's what this kid is in Pittsburgh. You know, and I'm sure that I, I bet you. If so I went, you challenged him, or well, after he, he kept running his mouth on Twitter, we're going back and forth. I was like, I will beat your ass. So, but now that I lost that first one, everybody uh-huh. thinks that they can just talk shit. You know, so mm-hmm. I was like, well, then let's step it up. So then I told my producer, hey, reach out to this guy and see if he would really fight me, rough and rowdy. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and then if, if so, yeah. if it really do it, I'll get the ball rolling and talk to Dave about it. Okay. So that's what we did. And then um, it got finalized. And so January 2nd, we announced it. Mm-hmm. So and I get it's, the, it's February it's, 1st. It's Super Bowl weekend. Yep. In Atlanta at the Pepsi, at the Coca-Cola Roxy. Uh-huh. The venue looks amazing, by the way. I was, I was doing some research looking at what the hell's going on. So you got to train. Yeah, I've been training five days a week. Uh-huh. Uh, I've been getting sparring, getting beat up again by guys much better than me. But it's, it's, it's just so much fun. It's, it, it feels good, you know? I like have I, I need, almost need to be forced to go to the, to train like that. Mm-hmm. If it's voluntary, I'm going to sli- slack off. But when it's mandatory, I go and I, and I train my ass off. And I mean, I'm 40 years, I just turned 40. So I have to get like extra tests and shit, EKGs yeah. and, and, uh, and MRIs, you know? Yeah. Uh, but I mean, I'm looking forward to it. I mean, it's just, it's just more fun, more content, more bucket list shit. You know what I mean? I just want to get some more good gifts of me punching dudes. So I can send that to people. You know, I got a little collection of nice gifts from the last one. And I, you know, I just hope it, I mean, I'm training hard. And that's, you know, just going to do the best I can, really. It's just really fun, more, more of a challenge, you know? So as we sit here in your apartment looking over Midtown Manhattan, like, the Empire State Building over there. How does it, how does it feel to know how far you've come in like just like the last... 10 years um, It's pretty wild You know Because I, I, every time I would ask To go know, from being the weed guy To Yeah To from, being $20 chef And Yeah Actually making some money For myself yeah. for a change After not For years of not making do- shit Yeah I don't know It's almost not even like It's It's, it's not even feel real Because I mean It's I, I do I do I mean, I can talk more shit, I guess, because the older you get, the more shit you can talk. Mm-hmm. You know, you got more stuff loaded in your mind that you can just unload out of. But I'm just cooking. Like, I cook, I talk shit, and that's it. Like, that's my whole life. I have the best. I don't but people think, pay you for it. Yeah, and I, and I get paid for it. Like, I, I don't think there's a better job as a comedian than what I, that I could possibly have on the planet. You know, outside of a late night being, being the next, you know, Conan O'Brien, which I don't even then then because... He has to be censored. Mm-hmm. Like, I can do whatever I want. I'm an internet guy. Yeah. I can say whatever I want. I mean, if I have a sponsor on my episode, then I have to, you know, I can't be getting too wild. But I can still kind of do whatever I want, you know, because brands know, like, they can watch my shit and they can see that, I, you know, I drop F-bombs. And I'll cut it back, you know, out of respect for, this, for them. But I can do whatever I want. I, I have a radio show. I get to say whatever I want. I don't have to worry about any kind of censorship. I got uh, my cooking shows on the internet. My whole job is they're basically against the status quo. And it's just, it's just, I mean, it's, it's the best fit. It feels amazing. Every day I wake up, I love waking up. You know, I love waking up, making some eggs, thinking of some dumb shit to say. You know, what am I going to say today? What's some, you know, I start writing off topics for the week, you mm-hmm. know, talk, going over emails, who what kind of sweet guests we get, get to have. I mean, it's literally the dream gig. Well, I got to tell you, Sean, it's, um, it's really great to see a guy who, Last time I saw you was running food. Yeah, now, years ago is now running the food game. I was so envious too because you would hang out with you had the you were you, so I knew you, you already had an awesome job as a writer for the entertainment portion. I think yeah, I, I, I worked Times. for the I worked for no Arizona Republic. Arizona Republic, yeah, yeah, even better. Yeah, and uh, and then you would come in and you, I was just, I remember being so envious like you get to come hang you know I want to hang out with the owner have some drinks host <laughs> the show go hang out afterwards and that was during the the, the year the years of. Um, uh, it's insomniac. Yep. So I, I, I think I remember. I, I mean, I feel like I remember you probably went out on some of those nights with. with no, Tell. I went out with David Tell. Yeah. During the because they were filming when there they were some, at Tempe. There was some footage of uh, Tell roasting me and Dan that didn't make it into the show. But, oh man, I was. But just, it was great to just be roasted by yeah. Tell 
I mean, I shouldn't have been wearing that leather jacket. It's true. <laughs> it was a long time ago. It was not me. Yeah. Was, I was trying to be something I wasn't. Yeah, yeah we, all, we all go through those phases. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it just, if, that was a long ass time ago, but it feels like it just went, I mean, like that, gone. Yeah. So many, so many like phases of life. Yeah, coming know? over here today to talk to you, I was like, has it really been that long? Yeah, I've always seen you know, on the internet and stuff. But, I, it's, you know, I always, but it's crazy to think how long ago that was. Yeah, but actually hanging out in person. Yeah, I was, I was, I remember I want to, man, I wish I could go hang out on the Insomniac filming right now after hosting it. Because it would be like a packed night, like Pablo Francisco or some shit like that. Yeah, and you I know? was, and I was always driving. So I would drive Dan and, yeah. and the headliner out to, usually we'd just go straight up Scottsdale Road to the Scottsdale night. Yeah, and, yeah, that was awesome. I used to, I used to remember thinking like, I wish I, oh, I was like, oh man, I wish I could do that. You know, and it's, obviously you get, you keep working and you get to do it, you know. But it's not something for our 40s. <laughs> yeah, no, no. That's a not, young no. man's game. Yeah, <laughs> these days, I mean, I still drink and hang out, but because Indianapolis is very, very, they get drink a lot there. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's the Midwest, that's what they do. But now, like, especially in New York, I don't barely go. I mean, if I either have a show or, you know, I'm, or I'm, lately it's been all this whole month, it's just been training. I'm not like going out. The bar scene is the last thing I give a fuck about right now. Like, there's nothing going on at a bar yeah, I could care that less. I could give a fuck, care less to go see or do. It's the same shit over and over, <laughs> you know? After this many years of drinking at bars, I still like to go, and I will go have. I'll go down the street. I barely beer. enjoyed the Scottsdale nightlife scene. Yeah, which which then I thought <laughs> I was, was getting, so big, but I was getting paid for it. So. Yeah, you were. So I had to like it. I know, but now you know I got a girlfriend. She's awesome. Mm-hmm. We do you know like this weekend. We just do. It's more fun to go on adventures now than you know, and then save the money, mm-hmm. go on adventures, go snowboarding or whatever, do something random, and then you know just go waste a hundred bucks an item at a bar. You know, but I'll still go. By the way, I'm not selling out on bars. I love going to bars, but the the the, the level of where it ranks on my what I would like to go do right now is definitely much lower than. Well, you got to fight to train for so. Yeah, I'm not drinking this much though. That's that's pretty rough. <laughs> I can't even have the wine. I only got one bottle left, anyways. But well, Sean, uh, kicks some ass. And, I appreciate uh, you. Thanks again for meeting up. I really appreciate it. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. It was great catching up, buddy. This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Gigglechick. Please check out my website, thecomicscomic.com, for more interviews, reviews, and comedy news. Become a paid subscriber at patreon.com. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks first.